Good morning, and welcome to King Convocation 2021. We will begin this morning by sharing our land acknowledgement statement. We want to acknowledge that we gather as Goshen College on the traditional land of the Potawatomi and Miami peoples, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the people who have stewarded it throughout the generations. This calls us to commit to continuing to learn how to be better stewards of the land we inhabit as well. Again, good morning. My name is Dr. LaKendra Hardware, and I am the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here at Goshen College. It is also my pleasure to serve as the MLK Committee Chair. Uh, on behalf of myself and the committee, Dr. Regina Shan Stolzfus, David Kendall, and Richard Aguirre, it is our pleasure to welcome you again and to kick off our programming to honor the life, legacy, work, and hopes of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the celebration of his birthday. Wherever you are, however you are sharing with us, via live stream, uh, via Facebook Live, and with those of us uh, presenting in, in the chapel itself, we are grateful for your presence. 2021 allows us to pick up where we left off last January with our theme of unapologetically just rooted in the way of Jesus. It allows us to pick up the pieces of the vision, hopes, and dreams for a more intentionally equitable and just campus. It invites us to sit in the intersection of justice work on our campus, DEI task force work of two years, DEI task force report and recommendations, a newly established standing committee at the uh, institution, the Committee on Inclusive Excellence, which will do the work of DEI across campus. And senior administration today, modeling the work ahead of us. This year, the MLK committee has invited our president, Dr. Rebecca J. Stoltzfus, and members of the president's cabinet to address our campus in the spirit of Dr. King. They have graciously and earnestly accepted that invitation as we will soon hear from them. We invite each of you listening to be intentional in your pause today. Actually take the moment and pause, reflect, listen, watch, wonder, and be challenged. Listen to them and listen within. The opportunity to stand in justice advance equity, and embrace the daily work of inclusion is for each of us. As our leaders speak today, let us each be moved to action. At this time, we will have our introduction of our speaker by Dr. Regina Shans Stolzfels. Good morning. My name is Regina Shan Stoltzfus, and I am professor of Peace, Justice, and Conflict Studies here at Goshen College. 
I spent this weekend in a class with 18 Goshen College students in a class called Conversations on Race. Beginning Friday evening and ending yesterday afternoon, we explored some classic writings on the experience and reality of race and racism in the United States, primarily from an African-American perspective, but from other identities and experiences as well. It is a unique challenge, but a welcome opportunity to spend so much time thinking and having necessary conversations about issues that are often not talked about well. I am grateful to those students for stepping up, for taking the content seriously, and engaging in the task of learning from one another. My hope is that we are all better equipped to do the work that is asked of us in the days ahead. Like so many other institutions, the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day is an opportunity to invite speakers into our community to share their wisdom, to inspire us, and most importantly, to challenge us. This year, we are inviting that wisdom, inspiration, and challenge from one of our own as we look inward at ourselves in the context of a nation still in the grips of racialized violence, inequality, and inequity. We, as you heard, the MLK Committee issued an invitation and a challenge to our own senior administrators they accepted our invitation and challenge. I am very pleased to introduce our speaker for the morning, the president of Goshen College, Dr. Rebecca Stoltzfus. Becky, as she is known to us here on campus, became the 18th president of Goshen College in 2017. She is an alum of GC and received her master's and doctoral degrees in human nutrition from Cornell University, where she also served as a member of the faculty and as vice provost. One of my memories of Becky's first semester as president here was how well she listened to us. It was clear that she understood the importance of hearing how we saw and experienced this community and our collective work, students, staff, and faculty all. That deep listening and caring for this community is highly valued and evident in the ways Becky helps lead this community. Becky, we are grateful for your leadership and anticipate your words this morning. Thank you, Regina for that kind introduction and the opportunity um, and challenge of being here at this podium this morning. Thank you to the committee as a whole. It's a privilege to speak to honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and to draw connections from his life and legacy to us and where we are today and where we go from here. I want us to remember Dr. King not only as a civil rights hero, but also as a human being. Martin Luther King Jr. was a college student too at one time at the historically black Morehouse College in Atlanta. He played football for Morehouse. He competed in debate, which gave me pause 
What would it have been like to compete in debate with Martin Luther King as a college student? He liked fashion. He loved to dance, and he was really good at the jitterbug. When he was 31 and had already risen to national prominence, he walked for a few hours on this very campus. 61 years ago, in 1960, Dr. King visited Goshen College and spoke in our union building, the same building where we eat at the Leaf Raker, enjoy our new Haitian art collection, and where our welcome center is named for our first African-American graduate, Juanita Lark. Dr. King's close friend and civil rights colleague, Vincent Harding, a Mennonite minister whose wife, Rosemary Freeney, was a Goshen College graduate, and who also visited here and spoke several times, described Dr. King this way. He said, Martin was a spirit-based, pro-democracy activist, thoughtful social analyst, loving, encouraging pastor who called us to our best possibilities, and a justice-obsessed, biblically-shaped, prophetic spokesperson for the poor. Maybe you are called to one or more of those things too. We honor Dr. King's work as a civil rights leader. Beginning in 1955 with the Montgomery bus boycott, he helped to form and then lead the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which organized nonviolent direct actions around racial injustice including the 1963 March on Washington. He mentored John Lewis, the US representative from Georgia, whom Dr. King tapped to lead the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, as well as the march that was halted by police violence on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama in 1965, a landmark event in the history of the civil rights movement known as Bloody Sunday. All of this work contributed to the passage of the Voting Rights Act, signed by President Lyndon Johnson in 1965, and which grassroots activists in Georgia over the past four years have worked so hard to put into reality in that state, even now, even in these present times. These were historic achievements that changed America and drew the attention of the world. Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. In the later 1960s, before he was assassinated, which happened in 1968, he broadened his attention to include issues of poverty and economic inequality as well as militarism. As the war in Vietnam raged on, he used his powerful voice to declare that we were fighting an immoral war. He founded the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. This campaign is alive and at work today. And if you are looking for a way to join your passion for social and racial justice, with the passion and discipline of others, consider joining the Indiana chapter of the Poor People's Campaign. The title of Dr. King's final book, 
published after his death, was where do we go from here? Chaos or community? I want to connect that powerful question to our own time and place here at Goshen College in the early 2020s. So let's begin by taking stock of where we are then and now. In the years that followed desegregation and the passing of the Voting Rights Act, Dr. King writes about black disappointment. The movement toward racial justice in this nation has had a rhythm of advance, followed by backlash and regression. Black disappointment is felt painfully again now, and it is felt here at Goshen College. Dr. King wrote in 1967, black people have half the income of whites. There are twice as many unemployed. The rate of infant mortality, widely accepted as an accurate index of human health, is double that of whites. Segregated black schools receive substantially less money than do the white schools. One twentieth as many blacks as whites attend college. And I end his quote. So where are we now? In earnings, in 2019, black-headed households have 60% the income of white-headed households. In the fourth quarter of 2020, black adults are 1.7 times more likely to be unemployed than white adults. In education, the gap in school funding still exists. In 2019, even controlling for the income of those school districts, school districts with high concentrations of non-white students received $1,500 less per student from their governments than those with concentrations of white students. A finding that hammers home the deep roots of racial inequality in education funding. Now we have made a lot of progress since 1967 in college attainment, although a striking gap still remains. In 2019, white adults are one and a half times more likely to have attained a bachelor's degree than black adults. And in health, the latest US national, national data show that black babies are more than twice as likely to die in the first year of life than white babies. Even worse, black women are more than three times more likely to die pregnancy-related deaths than white women. And since the pandemic began, black people are 1.6 times more likely to have died from COVID. It is shocking how little progress has been made in closing gaps in these very indicators that Dr. King called out in 1967. The root causes of these persistent inequalities are complex, but they are assuredly not inherent to the bodies and the minds of black people. These are the outcomes of systemic racism. 
Because of these immoral and persistent inequalities, Goshen College joins in saying, black lives matter. Not more than other lives, but in the face of such injustice, black lives must draw our concerted attention. I want to turn from these external manifestations to probe more internal aspects of where we are now. Our pain, our fear, and our anger. As we gather in January 2021, we continue to process the many layers of suffering and violence that we have witnessed in the past year. The coronavirus pandemic, the deaths of black people at the hands of police, mean-spirited and divisive politics, and an armed siege of the United States Capitol. Racism has shaped each of these traumas and the ways that they land unequally on us. We are immersed these days in rhetoric that is designed to frighten us, and it is working. Fear is a powerful motivator. Frightening headlines and sound bites strike us when we are vulnerable to the virus. Our trust is low, and our interdependence on one another is scary to us. Throw on racially inflammatory messages and symbols, and our collective fear is palpable. So what do we do when we are afraid? Well, it turns out that we buy toilet paper and guns. That might make you laugh, but it is true. In March 2020, as the pandemic became real and restrictions were imposed, toilet paper sales jumped 70% and gun sales by more than 90%. In June, after the murder of George Floyd, gun sales surged again, and they spiked the week of June 19, hitting an all-time high for 2020. Why June 19? It is Juneteenth, the anniversary of the day when slaves were declared free under the terms of the 1962 Emancipation Proclamation and when the president chose to hold a large rally in Tulsa, the site of a historic race massacre of black people. Gun sales in 2020 tracked our collective racial animus, which social science researchers measured by the number of daily Google searches of racial epithets. Racial animus has surged this year, and so have gun sales. In total, three million more guns were legally purchased in 2020 than expected from previous years. In terms of race, white Americans are more likely to own a gun than black Americans. Black Americans are twice as likely to die from gun violence overall, and are killed by police at twice the rate of white people. 
Further taking stock of where we are now, I also want to talk about our anger. Our present fear is accompanied by a lot of anger. Now, that is not bad. If you don't feel some anger after hearing these statistics, um, perhaps you're a little sleepy this morning. Anger is not bad. Anger can be a force for good. Anger is useful because like pain, it signals that something needs attention, either within us or around us. Something needs to change. Anger is an essential energetic force in our movements toward justice. That is, if we learn the disciplines needed to harness that energy for good. And this was part of the effectiveness of Dr. King's leadership. As he described it in his own words, nonviolent resistance released anger under discipline for maximal effect. Nonviolent direct action has proved to be the most effective generator of change that the movement for racial justice has seen. Dr. King's legacy lives on today. Some in the public sphere have wanted to paint the picture of the racial justice uprisings following the murder of George Floyd as violent. And this is very largely false. Ibram Kendi, American professor, anti-racist activist, and historian of race, documented that in the summer of 2020, there were more than 8,000 demonstrations for social justice in every state of this nation, and 93% of them were peaceful, including those in the city of Goshen and lining the streets of this campus. Mariam Kaba, one of the many leaders within those protests, has noted that in 2020, people in the movement knew what to do, not only how to act, but how to support and care for one another in the streets and when arrested. The legacy of nonviolent action is one that we must tend and sustain. Speaking about nonviolence, on Martin Luther King Day is so familiar to us that we might somehow think that this was bland or natural for him. It was not. He owned guns as a young adult before he later got rid of them. He carefully studied the methods of Mahatma Gandhi in India and learned from the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh in Vietnam. He got beat up and jailed, and he watched others the same. And in the midst of intense black disappointment and frustration, he came under strong pressure from other black leaders that the movement take up arms. Now, let me be clear. My affirmation of nonviolence is not meant to control black anger or protect white people from black violence. Undisciplined white anger, white supremacy, and white violence is a far greater threat. My point is in answer to King's question, where do we go from here, from this place of fear and pain and anger, is that we must work toward community. 
And to do that, we must learn nonviolent ways of being together and of resolving our differences. We must connect our work toward equity and justice to our Christian faith and to interfaith dialogue. Dr. King is a tremendous example of this. Goshen College, arising from a historic Mennonite peace tradition, holds an unusual degree of commitment, knowledge, and experience around the ways of nonviolence, for which Jesus is our ultimate guide. We need to be rooted in these ways to meet the moment that we are in. Finally, speaking to you as a white person today, I know that to choose to create community means also that we who are white must take responsibility to learn, to change, and to act on behalf of racial equality and justice. Dr. King wrote while sitting in a Birmingham jail, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the black person's greatest stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. We white people need to learn to see our own privilege and racism more clearly to motivate each other to continually develop healthy and effective anti-racism practices and to support one another and keep us moving forward when we fail. For the first time in my personal experience, not to say that this hasn't happened for others, but for my personal experience, I am part of and I see white people coming together in new ways to attend to issues of race grounded in a positive sense of our racial selves, a commitment to our own healing individually and collectively. We can develop a culture that challenges the dominating whiteness that has been the crippling wound in our nation and also on our campus for too long. Vincent Harding tells the story of a Mississippi civil rights activist, Fannie Lou Hamer, who was asked by a reporter in 1964, are you seeking equality with the white man? No, she firmly replied. I don't want to go down that low. I want the true democracy that will raise me and the white man up, raise America up. I feel unbearable longing for the collective liberation from racial injustice 
that we need. It is corroding us, our health, our economic security, our safety, our democracy. In a moment, we will turn to a video with a multiplicity of voices speaking to our work here at Goshen College. And before I end, I just want to highlight our work toward a new strategic plan for Goshen College. Diversity, equity, and inclusion will be a cross-cutting theme of the plan, building upon the recommendations of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force. If you are passionate about this, please enter the conversation. Email me at president at goshen.edu. We have work to do together, and that work gives me hope. Fueled by a spirit of prophetic love, let us, like Dr. King, fully and creatively engage the living history of this moment. Let us be those creative disruptors of racism who call our beloved nation and our beloved Goshen College to an ever more noble and true expression of equity and justice in action. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, President Stoltzfus. On behalf of the MLK Day Planning Committee, President Stoltzfus, our VPs, and all of the students, faculty, and staff who were part of this project, I'm happy to introduce this part of our celebration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This video is a testament to the work that Goshen College commits to in the ongoing process of increasing justice, equity, and eliminating racism. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Thank you. Hi, my name is Amethyst Romo, and I believe Goshen College should advance their social and racial justice because history cannot keep repeating itself. It is time to break the cycle so that we can ensure a better and brighter future for the next generation. I think GC can advance racial and social justice by listening to students of color to help better our campus and also to provide support and resources to students of color, especially in a time filled with such racial tension and hatred. Today we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His vision for justice and equity is crucial for us today. Each of our lives has been shaped by race. I grew up in an all-white family in predominantly white communities. I was at GC as a student from 1978 to 1983. The student body was very predominantly white at that time, and my German Mennonite name, Stolzfus, and the fact that both of my parents graduated from Goshen meant that I enjoyed a lot of trust from folks here as soon as I walked onto this campus. White Mennonite privilege. Personally, I don't remember being challenged much in those years about my white privilege. And that cannot be the case today. At the same time, 
my Goshen experience planted some powerful seeds. It was here that I began to discover the radically inclusive teachings of Jesus. I learned about nonviolent resistance and that following Jesus doesn't mean being nice. I learned about liberation theology, a Christian movement that emphasizes social concern for the poor and political liberation for oppressed peoples. And on my study service term in Haiti, I was for the first time a minority white person. I went on to graduate study and to work at predominantly white research universities. One was the Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health, where I spent 11 years. In Baltimore, I experienced for the first time being in majority black settings here in the US. I felt my whiteness acutely, although at that time I understood it as mainly about my skin color. At Johns Hopkins, I also began to understand racism as a public health issue. Racism makes people sick. Racism kills people. My research and teaching has focused on the health of women and children, especially in Africa. Working closely with people from African nations, I began to understand that my whiteness wasn't just about my skin. Several of my African colleagues have had the courage to speak to me frankly about the ways racism shapes global health, not just in general, but the particular ways that I was part of that racism. For example, I remember a conversation in 1998 with Dr. Mohamed Chwaya, my Tanzanian friend and colleague, who said, after six years of working together, you control all the budgets. We need more transparency. We need to talk about who gets to decide the topic of our research. And so we changed. Conversations like that are hard and humbling, but they've been a necessary part of my learning. So one of the things that's most striking to me about higher education, and particularly about obtaining a bachelor's degree, is really its ability to catapult someone into a lifetime of opportunities and experiences and options that might not otherwise be available to them. Um, you know, there's certainly research that supports this, but it's also really just been my own lived experience as a first-generation college student. Um, and while higher ed can you know, serve as this critical launching pad for the trajectory of one's life, the fact is that uh, higher education also sits behind this locked door that really requires two keys for entry. Um, you know, one is meeting certain financial requirements, and the other is certainly meeting uh, academic requirements. And if we stick with this door metaphor, you know, the fact is that those financial and academic keys alone um, don't fully address what's needed to make Goshen College a truly accessible place uh, to a broader group of people. There are plenty of students who have the academic and financial keys to unlock that door, and yet are still denied full inclusion into this place. And I would say that's because as soon as they open that door, often to their surprise, they're met by this guard on the other side of the door that stops them immediately upon entry and asks, you know, hey, what are you doing here? Are you lost? Are you sure you're supposed to be here? And that guard at the door is, you know, the much more arbitrary, elusive, kind of subjective criteria that it takes to truly be set up for success here. 
And this particular barrier uh, to entry is really personal for me too. Uh, I first came to Goshen College as a student in the early 2000s and I came with the financial and the academic keys. I entered through the doorway, met the guard at the door who asked me about my, my fit here. And you know, I confidently said, yes, I, I totally belong here. My values, my worldview, my sense of personal calling were all very much in line with those that were stated by the college. Um, and yet it didn't take long after I arrived to discover that the culture and the values here were really far more complex than those uh, that I understood from the outside looking in. You know, there were all these extra pieces of knowledge and experience and social connection that were really needed to navigate this place successfully and to feel like I truly belonged here. And there seemed to be this strong relationship between having those things and one's racial and ethnic and religious identity. Um, and it was really by my second semester at GC that I had set out on a quest to answer what was really a fundamental question for me personally, um, which was, can one, does one really belong here if they're not white uh, and or of Mennonite background? And that quest culminated in the work of my senior history thesis, which looked into the history of African-American students at GC. And in the context of looking at that long history, you know, of African-Americans who attended here, I ultimately concluded that, you know, there should be a place for me here and others like me, um, even if there wasn't at the moment. You know, that one's identity alone shouldn't serve as a barrier to accessing the distinctive opportunities and experiences and options that a Goshen College education can provide. I've lived a variety of places in my life, and we moved quite a bit when I was growing up. Most recently, our family lived in the south suburbs of Chicago in a predominantly African-American community of doctors, pastors, lawyers, and bankers. I worked at a small public university that's designated as a minority-serving institution because most of the students came from racial groups that are typically underrepresented in higher education. I came to Goshen two and a half years ago because of the positive experience that I had here as a student and the growing diversity among current students. I appreciate working in a faith-based institution and incorporating my Anabaptist Mennonite beliefs more prominently into my work. I've noticed differences. There are many things that Goshen does well, but there are also places where we can and must do better. One of the challenges facing higher education institutions today is knowing how to lead after a racial crisis has occurred on its campus. Goshen College is no different. It possesses its institutional histories that are filled with inequalities and justice. As a first-generation Mexican-American student on majority white campuses, I experienced several racial incidents that you know, made me feel lesser than others. I was angry, I was sad, and sometimes I felt very lonely. I didn't have the tools or skills to navigate some of the things I was experiencing that, that first year of college. We also know that protests related to race and leadership in higher education are not new. In the 60s and early 70s, young people protested unequal education opportunities and racist incidents on their college campuses. The Civil Rights Movement and Chicano Movement were instrumental in changing how higher education institutions served students of color. In 2014, after the shooting of Michael Brown Jr., 
by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. Many students of color across the country and their allies protested uh, the racial crisis on their college campuses. In 2018, racially minoritized students here at Goshen College walked out of the chapel and uh, marched to the president's office to demand changes regarding racism on campus. The Intercultural Coalition at Goshen College was created. We are living through a time when issues of race are powerfully visible to more of us. And it's important to say what we see in our society and here at Goshen College. Today, we bear witness that in this nation, we do not use police force consistently and that police violence falls heavily on black people. We bear witness that black people in the U.S. are dying of COVID-19 at 1.6 times the rate of white people. In Indiana, Latinos have been the most likely to have contracted COVID. Black people were most likely to have died. This does not come from having dark skin or having a Spanish language ethnic heritage. It comes from systematic neglect of particular neighborhoods and communities. And here at Goshen College, we bear witness to the continuing experiences of bias and discrimination experienced in our campus community, reported in part to the Bias Matters response team, although we know that many racist incidents go unreported. We see the gap in graduation rates from Goshen College by race, with students of color 23% less likely to graduate within four years than white students. We see that while our Latino student population has grown dramatically, the number of black students at GC has not. And we bear witness to the overwhelming whiteness of our employees, and most especially, our faculty. I'm often thinking about our college culture, how we tell our story and how we foster a group of creative and compassionate employees who carry out our mission and vision in bold ways. This is about our identity, who we are and our institutional commitments. And I want diversity, equity, inclusion, and racial justice to intersect and weave deeply through all of that work. A lot of that has to do with stories, our stories as a college that both transforms and sometimes fails. Stories are how we understand and make sense of who we are as individuals and collectively. The stories we tell ourselves, each other, and particularly the stories that get told by those of us in positions of power. And to tell stories that are true, we must know and learn from our past. Our history has been full of much positive progress around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it has not been linear and not fast enough. It has frequently involved two steps forward and a step or two back. We can point back to that day in 1960 when Dr. King himself visited Goshen College and spoke here in our union building about desegregation. And as a college community, we do look different than we did when I graduated. Our student body includes many more Latino students, local students, and students from a variety of faith traditions. And I am excited to be on the threshold of becoming designated as a Hispanic-serving institution. And I remember the joyful day so vividly just five and a half years ago 
compelled by strong student and alumni activism, when we officially changed our hiring policy to include openly LGBTQ plus employees. But I also remember when I was a student listening to painful stories of racism, discrimination, and exclusion from my black peers, sharing on MLK Day about some of their experiences on campus. And the stories I hear today sound much too similar. The truth is that we still have many of the same struggles and challenges when it comes to racism and bias. Justice requires involvement, inclusiveness, trust, hope, and love. Goshen College can advance social and racial justice by providing more education and resources to students and employees and ensuring that every student body, especially the minorities, has a voice and access to a safe place to express themselves. We can all practice showing respect and understanding to each other by using inclusive language and actions. I am grateful to be a part of a community that is intentionally focused on addressing issues of racism, equity, and diversity. This is hard work and work that can take us out of our comfort zone. When I was asked to be a part of this conversation, I was nervous because I felt like I didn't have the exact right words to share. I was encouraged by a very wise Dr. LaKendra Hardware to speak into and out of the discomfort that I was feeling. I hope to remember those words in the coming days, weeks, and months. And my hope is that everyone in the GC community, students, faculty, and staff, would be open to engaging in this hard work that stretches us to make this place an inclusive, safe community where everyone feels a true sense of belonging. As a college, we have a platform that we can and should use to advocate for change in our community and to promote social and racial justice. And as we encourage justice in the outside world, we have an obligation to enact that same justice on our own campus. Justice is about more than just saying something is wrong, but it is about taking concrete measures and acting to change the unjust institutions in our world. In 2020, People of many races and nations joined together in vigorous uprisings to express their demands for safety and racial justice, especially for black people. Even the whitest states in the country have had demonstrations for racial justice involving thousands of people. In a study of 8,000 racial justice demonstrations last year, 93% of them were peaceful, including those in the city of Goshen, and lining the streets on this campus. In 2018, an intercultural coalition of GC students staged a peaceful demonstration and placed demands on my administration that we began work to fulfill. Six months ago, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force submitted its recommendations based on two years of work of staff, faculty, and students. In 2019, Goshen College experienced a very public racist and homophobic act on campus. And in 2020, our Bias Matters response team has continued to receive bias reports related to that impact our black students, Latinx students, Asian American students, and LGBTQ plus students are experiencing. The recent racial and homophobic incident and continued knowledge of additional bias-related reports at Goshen College make me realize that as a campus community, we, we need to do more work on understanding our biases, our prejudices, 
and, and our assumptions. Dr. Julie uh, J. Park writes a book titled Race on Campus, Debunking Myths with Data. In her book, she writes about cognitive biases. Dr. Park explains that sometimes the, the brain is quick and intuitive, and it relies on mental shortcuts to help us come to quick conclusions. Dr. Park also says that our brain can also be rational and deliberative, and it can challenge those preconceptions that we have of other people. Unfortunately, we tend to rely on quick thinking and we jump to conclusions about individuals or situations we find ourselves in. Unfortunately, our biases, prejudices, and assumptions aren't just things that remain in our head. Those biases and prejudices and assumptions can show up in our behavior. This behavior can show up in various ways, such as name-calling, verbal attacks, sexual harassment, microaggressions, and even physical violence. Those who are receiving, uh, on the receiving end of these negative behaviors can develop ailments such as depression, anxiety, and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. At my previous institution, I had the privilege of teaching the first year seminar class one year, which is similar to ICC here at Goshen. We included Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail as a required reading. I was surprised that most students hadn't read any of Reverend Dr. King's original writings before. In that letter from April 16, 1963, which is well known and often quoted, he explains why he traveled to Birmingham saying, quote, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. Those are words that we need to hear today, here in Goshen. And Goshen College is rooted in the way of Jesus. Jesus shows us the way to inclusive community and transformative justice if we are willing to follow. And I think that as we seek to keep taking the right next step forward, we must be able to hold all of our past, which has shaped who we are today. So we need more stories more diversity of storytellers, more inclusion of our challenging stories. This will thicken our story as a college. Too often we have allowed our story to be thin, or even a single story, which is dangerous. When we thicken our story, we add layers to it, complexify it, and look for the exceptions in order to learn from them. Thicker stories are more interesting, more honest and believable, but also more helpful. We are aware of the fullness of our community and what has worked and failed. So we can learn from the unique stories woven within the larger, thicker narrative. And this creates resilience and wholeness for ourselves as individuals, but also as an organization. For example, what would it look like for us to become brave and welcoming enough 
to honor stories publicly around race at Goshen College in a similar way to our Goshen monologues. But stories are not only for telling about the past. Stories help shape our future as we ask, what is the story we want to create together and tell? And to answer that, we must include everyone. It is only together that we can see and create truth. We need difference to see in new ways, to recognize new problems, to imagine new solutions, to name injustices that need changed, to connect with new partners and networks. And while I value the diverse perspectives immensely that persons of color bring to meetings and conversations and know that we need more of that, we also need white persons on our campus, like myself, to step up as well and take responsibility. It is still frequently the case that the primary people who raise questions and concerns about DEI-related themes, either pointing to opportunities for change and growth or calling out problematic behaviors, are the persons of color in the room. That is a sign to me that we have more work to do. We must keep moving from not only verbalizing the important values of global citizenship and commitments to anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are glad to showcase the best of our diversity in our view books and website, but we must do more than that. Goshen College can advance social and racial justice in 2021 by continuing to improve and create their social justice education programs. This includes helping students learn about social justice issues. This is important for students to learn about social justice issues so that they can continue on in their daily lives and are able to advocate for themselves and others when it comes to social justice issues. As a teacher, I hope our work for racial justice on Goshen College's campus includes examining our curriculum and the methodologies we use. This includes each of us faculty members thinking carefully about who writes and is represented in the readings and resources we ask our students to view and read, who is represented and what approach is taken to the content we discuss, and how we set up activities for the course. A key aspect of our work for racial justice at GC is viewing our courses, curriculum, methodology, and materials through the lens of racial justice. We are in a moment of potential transformation. We're not yet who we want to be. To get there will take courage, humility, passionate learning, and active love. So the work that I personally commit to in making Goshen College a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive place is to continue to find ways to make the financial and academic keys to this place accessible to a broader group of people. You know, but also to transform the role of that guard at the door to one of being a greeter, to make that person at the door someone who, upon your entry to Goshen College, enthusiastically says to you, hello, you know, I just wanted to confirm that you've entered through the correct door. Um, you've arrived at the exact place where you belong. But I won't stop there. Uh, 
because I don't want to downplay just how much work it requires to really transform that guard, to transform the longstanding culture of this place that has been exclusive and inequitable for so many people who have entered through our doors and for so many that never even got past that guard. Um, you know, one thing I know from my historical research of the college and from my own relationship with this place for nearly two decades now um, is that the call for transforming that guard has been going on for far too long. And while there's been a pattern of efforts and certainly progress that's been made over time, you know, toward, toward that goal, it has not happened fast enough. And there has been a lot of hurt and injustice um, al along the way. So really, you know, with that, my, my final commitment um, is to not only do my part to make this a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive place, but, you know, particularly in my current position of, of power to push for us to really do this work with haste. We are called to greater action, to live into and fully embody our mission and vision. For true stories must be lived out, not just told. We need to embed diversity, equity, and inclusion ever more strongly in our recruitment and retention of employees, our orientation and onboarding of new employees, our training and continuing education, our cultivation of a stronger culture of inclusion for all, and also around accountability. And it will also take deliberate actions by each of us individually particularly those of us in positions of significant power as employees, to become more interculturally competent, aware of our biases, and anti-racist in our work and our interpersonal relationships. This is urgent work for the sake of all of us. It is about who we are, and it is about the ways that we live Jesus' call in our lives and how we live into our vision as an organization. It is the work that Dr. King called us to. In my work with the faculty to plan curriculum and courses, we have many areas that we're working on to create a stronger sense of belonging and interrelatedness for all students. First, we desperately need to diversify our faculty. In the three academic years that I've been here at Goshen, the percentage of faculty who identify as either African-American or Hispanic according to federal guidelines has been between just 3 and 5%. That is just too low. It is far from matching the diversity of students that we have. I greatly appreciate the faculty that we do have in those categories and the tremendous work they do on our campus. We need to do more to support them and add to their numbers. It's a very important area that we need to improve. It isn't easy but I've been talking with others in higher education about this and continuing to learn as much as I can about it. Working with human resources, our search committees, and our faculty of color, we can make a difference. We have to talk about how such things as our colorblind routines and a culture of niceness are perpetuating this problem. There are practices that we can use to break these problems down and advocate for more diversity in hiring. We need to analyze how our campus culture impedes our efforts to diversify the faculty. We have to work together to attract and retain more diverse faculty at Goshen. A second area that I want to highlight is creative inclusive classrooms and a sense of belonging in all parts of campus. We're offering workshops to faculty, using feedback from student evaluations, and helping faculty care for all students. 
I look forward to working with the newly formed Committee on Inclusive Excellence to increase the work in this area. Two of the six DEI officers forming that committee are professors, Jody Saylor from Biology and Kendra Yoder from Sociology. I trust that they will assist in bringing students' concerns to the faculty and helping all of us improve. I look forward to continuing the work for justice and building connections here at Goshen. We in student life uh, know we have to do our own work on understanding our own biases and we plan on developing uh, our work uh, this semester in creating more training opportunities for us. We also plan to develop mentoring relationships and intergroup dialogues that work on, on learning those biases. Our goal is to develop more mutual support groups for students and this spring semester student life staff will participate in uh, trainings on anti-racism and gender and sexuality and also safe zone training. All of us in student life are committed to standing with students and we also recognize that we need to better understand the student concerns and work to stabilize the situation and create safe spaces where students can process what has happened to them. I want Goshen College to be a place where all of us can grow, we can learn, and we can feel safe. And this can happen when we treat each other with respect, with kindness, and care for others. Here's what I want. We must make Goshen College a place where people are welcomed, accepted, and connected to one another, where all of us feel secure. We must tell our stories and we must listen deeply to one another. This means having the courage to break through our silence, our shame, and our fear about racism. Several of you have reached out to me last semester to talk to me about your experiences as black students at Goshen College. Thank you. Listening to your stories is very important to me. We must welcome more people of color as students and employees and professors of Goshen College. In particular, we must hire more black, indigenous, and people of color to our teaching faculty. And we must make anti-racism a part of a Goshen College education. And that means for all of us, for me, for our entire leadership team, for our employees and our students, especially for those of us who are white, especially for those of us with more power. Racism does not happen by accident. It is part of a long-standing system. Undoing racism will also not happen by accident. It requires new knowledge, new ways of seeing, new skills, and new policies this must be part of Goshen College. As we move forward in this new year, we are setting a new strategic plan for Goshen College, organized around five areas. Our academic excellence, enrollment, student experience, employee experience, and our learning environment. Diversity, equity, and inclusion will be a cross-cutting theme across all five areas with specific measurable objectives and allocated resources. We will have more conversations about that this semester. 
we have work to do together and to adopt some of the powerful and famous words of Dr. King, the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice, and the moral arc of Goshen College must also bend toward justice. And we must do that work with fierce urgency, now. This year, our committee, Dr. Regina, David, and Richard, and myself, we prayed, we dreamed, and we imagined what today would look like. COVID compliant, and yet still hopeful for the work that we are called to as Goshen College. Our president, and members of our cabinet, Vice President Perez, Vice President Byler, Vice President Burgunder Johnson, Vice President Venderly. You have given us a model example of how to step into a space to ruminate on it and to imagine, to question and to challenge. And we are grateful for your work we are inspired and encouraged by your words, and we look forward to the work together. To the faculty, staff, and students who raised your voice in the video, thank you. It is not always easy to offer a word, to articulate, find out how to say all of what we carry in us sometimes. But you did a beautiful job of presenting your voice. To our events office, to our ITS media, to Kamar, to our interpreter who is joining us in Humble, to the ASL department, thank you. Goshen College, the call to action has been issued. It is not optional. We have to do this work and it is everyone's work. And so we ask that you would imagine and dream, plan and hope, move and change what is necessary to continue to be equity and justice in action at Goshen College. I wanna share a quote from Dr. King. Should've brought my glasses, but I didn't. They're down there. So I'm gonna to try to read it. Actually, I'm gonna look this way and read it on the screen. And it says, with this faith, we will go out and adjourn the councils of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. And we will be able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. I wanna read that again. And we will be able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy 
of hope. And this will be a great America. We, Goshen College, will be the participants in making it so. The call has been issued. How will you answer? At this time, we'll have our closing from committee member Richard Aguirre. Buenos dias, good morning. Y ahora te toca a ti, quieras. And now it's up to you, what will you do? This morning we've been informed, educated, and inspired. And we've been challenged by Goshen College faculty, staff, students, and our leaders. And it's up to us now. What will students, faculty, staff, and administrators do? How will we respond collectively? And what will we do individually? Because we cannot ignore the reality of race and racism in our lives. We can't ignore white privilege the unjust treatment of African-Americans by police, the profound racial disparities in medical treatment that COVID-19 has revealed, the challenges of students of color at Goshen College, including far too few African-American and Latino professors, continuing bias misconduct on campus among African-Americans and Latinos and others, persistent gaps in minority graduation rates, and we must respond to the urgent need for honest conversations, racial and social justice, and action now. Not two years from now, not in a year, now. Today we honor the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. for his powerful vision, for his commitment to nonviolent resistance, and for his sacrifice. But we would be doing a disservice to his memory and to his legacy if we were to leave this convocation and resume our normal routines unchanged. To truly honor Dr. King, we need to embrace his call for inclusion, equity, and justice. So what will you do? What can you do? The Martin Luther King Jr. Study Day Planning Committee invites you, first, to reflect on what you've heard this morning, to write about it, and to share with others. And we want to make you aware of two other opportunities. We invite all students and employees to participate in our biannual diversity and equity survey. The survey will be emailed to you later today and will remain open for four weeks. Please take a few minutes to participate in this important survey. Your responses will help us better understand how to best engage our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion on campus. Also, you might consider attending the presidential inauguration watch event sponsored by the Latino Student Union this Wednesday at noon, January 20th, in the Fellowship Hall. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be taking the oath of office at that time, and you'll have the opportunity to write notes that will be forwarded to the White House. Finally, we invite you to envision how you can respond individually and collectively to this call to action. To assist you, please look back on the email that the MLK Committee sent you which has a wide range of online resources designed to inform, educate, and inspire you to action. The email includes links to information about diversity, equity, and inclusion at Goshen College, including the report by our task force, as well as links to organizations such as Black Lives Matter, 
that will show you how you can get involved in advancing social justice and racial justice. I'd like to close with two quotations from great American heroes. The first is from Cesar Chavez, the leader of the United Farm Workers Union, who said, we cannot seek achievement for ourselves and forget about the progress and prosperity for our community. Our ambitions must be broad enough to include the aspirations and the needs of others for their sakes and for our own. And finally, from the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., the time is always right to do what is right. Thank you for joining us today. And for our sakes and for our community, please reflect, act, and always do what is right. It's time.